Welcome to the Marvel Cinematic University Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Canton III. This is a mailbag slash news edition of the show. If you didn't get a chance to check it, we interviewed earlier in the week. We had a great interview with members of the Guardians of the Galaxy art production team. Check that out. That was a lot of fun to do. It's also on our YouTube channel. Make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel and give that a whirl if you get a chance. We greatly appreciate it. I also have to introduce the super producer, Jake Christie. Jake's in the house. Jake, how are you? I'm doing well. Uh, yes, I highly recommend that as well. Um, I, if if that doesn't seem like something that immediately would be super interesting, I promise it is. I, I personally think that if you ask anyone in any creative field specific questions about what they do, it's always interesting. Like, I'm just a firm believer, and if you ask someone who is passionate about something about it, no matter what it is, it's interesting. Yes, absolutely. I think if if anything, if you saw Guardians and you loved it, Check it out. It's a lot of insight into kind of the minutiae of what goes on there. But yeah, definitely check that out when you get a chance. But we are here to answer some questions first. So let's go to the first one. Where does the high evolutionary fall in your MCU villains rankings? And what are your top five or ten villains? So he's probably in like, probably like number five. Mm-hmm. Um my number one, I mean, it's hard because I I fluctuate a lot because there's some that, like, I like aspects of them. Like, I really like the performance of Gore the God Butcher, but because of the way he's deployed, I don't know if I can put him in number five. My stock answer for my favorite villain used to be the Vulture, just because I thought that he was one of the few villains that felt, both felt realistic, but also wasn't sympathetic if that makes sense right um and i think the high evolutionary exceeds on that level too where it's like you understand how we got there but it's not a sob story about it um so like my top five is probably something with uh the vulture gore the god which is probably there hell is there obviously hell actually might be number two or number one even uh high evolutionary thanos um and then we can get funky with some other ones but, I mean, I, I think it's been no secret that I'm kind of generally down on a lot of villains in the MCU. Mm-hmm. Uh, the MCU is, and I'm not the only person to say that. But the High Evolutionary is definitely top tier for me. Yeah, easy top five. Um, easy top five. I'd say, like, if you had to, if I had to really think about it, I Thanos and Hela are, like, two obvious ones. I think Zemo, to me, I think just for the fact that he kind of won in a Civil War. He just kind of, like, snuck out the back door. You know what Zemo is? Zemo to me is like that. Zemo to me is Jeff Green, where all of, on paper, it should be great. You know what I mean? Like, he looks like LeBron. He has the measurables that LeBron does, but he doesn't put it together. Like, not not say he can't in the future, but let's be honest, the Zemo, the things that Zemo does on screen are not as good as he is as a character on paper. Yes, that's a, that's actually a, that's actually a fair point. But I, I like the character a lot, and... That's, oh, yeah, a, so that's what would make me classify it. So, yeah, so I got Thanos, Hela, Zemo, High Evolutionary, no no particular order uh, at, at this moment. And I really got to go with uh, Namor. Uh, 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 Namor, I just really... Completely forgot about him. He'd be up there, too. Just go back and watch that movie and what he did there. It was just tremendous stuff. And yeah, that's... Great stuff. Yeah, great stuff. So the, the next question is, 
So what happens when the Adam Driver-led A-list MCU Fantastic Four movie also flops like the other three? Does that mean F4 is dead for good? And would that be a definitive death blow to the MCU? My gut answer for both of those is yes and yes. Um, I think that... I think that there is potential for that to happen because I think that the reason the other Fantastic Four movies, although the first one was very successful, but like wasn't culturally loved. I do think that there is a huge difficulty in making a movie about the Fantastic Four because one, it is four equally important characters you need to introduce at once. Like it's not as bad as the Eternals having like 75 members, but it's not nothing. And I also think that they had they never managed to get the tonal hook the tonal core of what makes them different like both of them felt like they were kind of trying to play it right down the middle in terms of the superhero movie tone like it didn't really feel like they had a take um yeah. but and so, and i i think that the second part of the question is more interesting but i also think it's actually a more obvious answer, which is like, yeah, if they put all the eggs in the basket of making a superstar sort of Fantastic Four and that doesn't work, that won't literally be the last MCU project, but it definitely will be the end of their dominance. Like, I, that, I mean, like, there's putting too much effort into it for that not to be the case. Uh, I would agree. I think it's very important that they get this right for a lot of levels, considering that you've already gone through your tentpole character so far in Iron Man, uh, Captain America the Hulk, stuff like that. You've already gone through them. Uh, Spider-Man has now been in the part of the MCU for a while now. So if you think about all of these uh, characters who you who are synonymous with what Marvel is, Fantastic Four is one of them as well. Also, I will say, Fantastic Four was not really like my favorite favorite of the books growing up. So it's not like... I know a lot of people are into it and there's a there's a cosmic aspect of them that does get explored because of what they go through. And of course their interactions with Galactus and stuff like that, but and silver surfer too. So there, that stuff, that stuff might not hit with everybody. So I think that's a fair thing to wonder. And also the casting, um, the potential castings of somebody like, like uh, Margot Robbie for Susan storm. If that ends up being true, How's that going to land? I don't know. Margot Robbie's obviously a very talented actress, but you just don't know how this is going to fit in overall. Yeah. And we have to see who else besides the quote unquote potential of a- Adam Driver um, as Reed Richards. What does that look like? Oh, there's a lot of questions to be answered there. Yeah. And I think actually the thing that is more problematic with adapting the Fantastic Four is that, I, you know, I'm not a huge comic junkie, but just based on the movies and the way that they culturally are and the things I know about them, it almost feels like they have a similar problem to making a modern-day Superman movie where the tone of the characters is more rooted in past tone. Like, they just feel, of all the Marvel properties, they feel the one that is hardest to be in modern day. Like, it feels like the tone of the Fantastic Four, their vibe, is firmly rooted in 1965. You know what I mean? And, like... That was always the thing that I felt feels hard about adapting them. Like the cosmic stuff, like yes, they did kind of a huge sell, but we did just have an Infinity Saga plot line. So, like, I think, I think that, frankly, I think that 
they I don't I actually don't really want them to be that concerned about and Howard probably will hate this me saying this but that I don't think they should be that worried about emulating the 60s style because I think that of all the things that we know don't really work in the MCU I think that like that is kind of it just doesn't work in the MCU and I think that that's I think that there is a place for that in comic book movies like uh, uber sincerity and stuff like that but like that's just not what the MCU generally does and I will just say anytime the original Fantastic Four movies come up always like to say because there's one of the craziest indictments of Hollywood I think I've said this to you before that the original Fantastic Four was the highest grossing film directed by a black director until Black Panther so <laughs> that's just just crazy stuff and just and it's, it didn't make that that much money <laughs> like, right. wow I, I, I th- thinking about that it's funny but yeah, I think all the points you make are very fair. It's 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 just something that in just the idea of it is intriguing, but also at the same time there is a bit of a huh, how much is this going to hit? How much is this going to land with yeah. people cuz I think of I think people will be a lot more interested if they choose to adapt this aspect of some of the book stuff is Susan Storm and her kind of will-they-won't-they stuff with Namor. Like, that's the type of stuff that I think people will be interested in. Reed can tend to be a stick in the mud. So, like, I don't know. that that, It's just stuff like that that's that's interesting. And think about it this way. If you're, like, my age, this is true, but, like, if you're someone who is, say, Amon Vellani's age, who, you know, famously talks about how she watched Iron Man when she was, like, 8 or 10 or whatever, you have grown up and seen two different flop versions of the Fantastic Four. Your association with them is not good. Like, I personally don't really have much of an association with them, e- even as much as I do, like, I don't have a positive association with them, even with I did with other comic book characters that I just kind of saw culturally osmosis. Like, I feel right. like they're a much... I th- I, the thing I worry about is I get the impression that they are much more beloved among the generation of people that is in the big offices in Marvel. And I don't know how much appreciation there is for the core demographic of Marvel fans. And I think part of that is frankly, the fact that Mr. Fantastic's power is silly in a way that it's kind of, there just aren't that many that they kind of avoided a lot of that. And so I think going in on the human drama of it, I think really letting the characters be, you know, fit into the tone of the Marvel universe as much as people align that. I think it's kind of the way they have to go. I would like, I, I would, and I think that they honestly should probably set some of it up in movies beforehand. Not that obviously they're going to do that, but I think if they were to just say like we're going to have a movie that's Fantastic Four out of nowhere, I don't even think having major stars is going to big be that much of a big deal because like as we talk about, they don't really make movie stars anymore. You know, mm-hmm. like people like Adam Driver a lot, but like go on Box Office Mojo and look up sixty five. He's not alone bringing people to the theater. You know. Uh, so I just hope that they take, I hope that they really consider that they need to actually put an effort in order to make it work and don't just think, well, this is one of our big movies and people are going to see it's fantastic for. Yeah. It's gotta be a great story. I think you, you start there and if you got a great story, you can always find a way to sell it. If that's the case. I mean, just as you said with, uh, guardians of the galaxy volume three, you have something good. People will go see it. If it's good second second best hold in the entire mcu history that's which is a crazy stat it started off like it's just a very rare thing to happen in movies where a third movie in a franchise under does under the second movie in the first weekend but then is above the second movie in the second weekend like that just is like that's kind of inexplicable and like that's just shows 
Like, oh, if you make a movie good, it actually does matter. Like, Guardians 3 opened to less than, like, Thor Love and Thunder, and it's going to kill it overall because people are hearing good things about it. Yes, yes. Staying power is a thing. Uh, great question there. Also, another question. Well, this is more of a ranking thing. Rank the MCU trilogy shown to date from worst to best. Obviously, the trilogies are Iron Man, Spider-Man, Guardians of the Galaxy, Captain America, Ant-Man, Thor, and even though the Avengers... All and Thor both have four movies. We would include those as well. So give me, give me your rank. What okay, worst, and this is controversial, but I think ha- is almost in- unarguable. Is probably Iron Man, <laughs> like at least for me. Like, and then after that, I would say Ant Man, just because Quantum Mania really is disappointing. Then Thor, Cap, Avengers, Guardians, and Spidey. Hmm. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I- yeah, just looking at it here. Yeah, Iron Man's definitely last. I mean, I, I ain't gotta I ain't gotta go too long on that note as far as Iron Man. Yeah, and then I got Ant Man and then I got Thor. Um I was really thinking hard about about um Guardians and Guardians and Cap. It's really it's actually Guardians three has made this a little bit more difficult than before i give slight edge to cap slight edge to to cap being better so guardians and then cap and then and then um i will go with i will go with the avengers movies and then yes the spider-man trilogy i think man at the end of the day i feel like all of those movies um even with how they tend to have some i think the way that i find them talked about is interesting in the sense that especially with no way home with people after the fact saying that it 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 didn't it didn't it doesn't hit at home i don't know i didn't feel that way at all that that the homecoming homecoming far from home and no way home are all movies that i feel like i will be thinking about in terms of just the trilogy and that whole story for the rest of my life yeah i i noticed that in like the twitter circles i see what have you there's a lot of and the, a lot of the anti-MCU film fan contingent, which is a large contingent, really loves the Raimi movies. And so, like, they talk about the Highland Spider-Man movies as if they're garbage. And I'm like, okay, you can hate the MCU, but, like, they're not. It's not. It, like, they're, the people love them, and I personally love them. And, um, yeah, I just have a lot of fondness for the character, and I like the... I think that it's really... A, they it, There's really not... It's the one trilogy where I can look at it and it's the only one of these where I don't have to be like, well, this one's the low point. Like, of it, Far From Home's probably the worst, but, like, that's not even, you know, so that's why it's uh, easy to remember for me. Yeah. I mean, even Far From Home, I could even go back to how good Jake Gyllenhaal was. Oh, yeah. I mean, oh, no, I like Far From no, Home yeah, a lot. I mean, I know you're saying it's the worst, but, like, I think about it as, like, oh, that's that's why I say that trilogy just is, like, I don't know, it's gold, it's gold standard to me. Um but yeah, the the next question is actually this is a this is this is a good one. You think it was simpler? You think it would be a simpler thing if you read it on its base? But let me just read it. Given how horrendous TV shows and movies were during the last writers' strike in 2007, which MCU projects do you think will be most affected by what's happening now? My most simplest answer would be all of them. But yeah. in in the spirit of the question, what do you think? So Daredevil is like I know immediately being affected where some of the productions are getting shut down. Because basically the way these strikes work is that Teamsters, because they're the best, won't ever, they will never work on a set that is being picketed. Uh, And so if, basically the way it works is that 
writers try to find a set that they know is active and then they start picking in front of it to get the, them to shut it down because they want to make uh, the studios lose money so that they go to the negotiating table. So in the immediate term, Daredevil is definitely infected in the most, but it, it, but like those scripts already finished, even though obviously there's writing that still needs to be done and that's what hurts it, like that they can't technically write more on it. So like, like I said, yes, the immediate answer is Daredevil. Uh, but I think the actual, a slight difference, honestly, between this situation and the 2007 situation is, particularly for Marvel, is that, well, the world thinks it will be affected in some way. Unlike TV shows during the 2007 writer's strike that needed to go back on air in the fall, because Marvel does not have a set schedule for TV, it, if there, like, there's not a show I think that's currently in the writer's room now that will be that as much affected as, say, like, Friday Night Lights, where they need to rush or do something. Now, it still definitely will be affected, but it's not like, oh, my God, this needs to come out in two weeks, so we need to... Mm -hmm. um, so... And I think that you know, like, this is kind of... We just don't know enough about how the productions work and what, what stage things are at. Like, unfortunately, the actual answer beyond that Daredevil is getting currently disrupted is we don't know. So I have a I have at least a little light to shine. I feel like the way that at least from what I hear and from what I've learned over the last couple of years is that most of Marvel's shows and movies are now like heavily rewritten as they go along. So yes. there's there's a lot of adjustments and I mean there's so many different stories that I can't say that you know that we've seen um, you wonder why that happened and you realize it's because they've made last minute changes in a lot of instances. Now, if you had to ask me what couple of things, if, if Agatha wasn't in post-production, if Agatha wasn't done filming, uh, then I would say that one. And I also would say, I would say Wonder Man too. I think those are two Agatha, you you're just taking a chance on the Catherine Han character being able to carry something um, as you know simple for. I mean, when you talk about the casual MCU fan, um, witchcraft and all that stuff, how will that work? How can you make that really, really entertaining? I think that you need a good writers room to be able to kind of piece that together, even with the amount of talent that they have. Um, in their cast and I would say Wonder Man the same thing I think not a lot of uh, casual MCU fans know a lot about Wonder Man Wonder Man's like really one of those old 80s uh, level Avengers uh, stuff like that so I don't know how something like that would land either if you don't have a good story so I think those two in particular um and yeah, I I feel like those two in particular. And if I had to think of another one, see, if if Ironheart wasn't in, wasn't a shot and done, that would be another one. I would say, uh, just trying to translate that story from what happened with. Oh, with I mean, it, but the thing too yeah. is though that like technically mm -hmm. speaking, there can't be any writing done. Period. Like it's not just like you can't. It's not just like they're doing it without writers. Like obviously people scab, and right. if anyone you know does that. They can go fuck themselves. I hope you don't mind me saying that. No, uh, no, if you're okay. scabbing, like it just I, it's <laughs> it's, okay. it's just bad. And I but I also think I think that it just came down the pike last night is that the Screen Actors Guild, SAG AFTRA, the board voted to put they're going to have a vote on a strike 
for at, that will start, I think, in June, at the end of June. And if that happens, then everything's getting affected and get delayed. Um, and I hope it does because that if 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 SAG and the WGA both strike, then that means that it's more likely they're both going to get a good deal. Push and, for change. Uh, if you yeah. really want to push for change, this is as good of a time as any. Um, I don't mind referring to our interview the other day uh, that we did regarding AI mm-hmm. and how that affects the creative arts. Mm-hmm. I think it's very important that we take a look at this now and mm-hmm. and really battle and that's what the writers are on the front lines doing right now so again pay the writers and the thing is i am not a huge person i I don't love to harp on like the things quote unquote that we don't get taught in school because i think a lot of the stuff is just stuff that a 10th grade history teacher doesn't feel like having to explain to a room of loud kids but the thing that has really been written out of our history books is that like literally nothing good no protection you have as a worker nothing good that you have was ever gotten but anything but strikes. Like, that is just it. Like, you like that you work 40 hours a week? That's because of strikes. You like that you have health benefits? You, like, you like all these things? Like, I just I just have so much trouble understanding anyone who's ever... Truly, the writers would have to be asking for caviar every day at lunch for me to even pause. Because it's like, <laughs> you, why, these things... The only way to get these things is to, is to strike. There's, the, there's no reason... If, there were not, if the writers didn't strike now literally every show will be replaced by AI in like 10 years and they'd all suck, but they'd be paying $0. So my point being, um, I can ramble on this forever, but uh, yeah, I hope that things aren't affected by the strike, but yeah. I hope that they aren't affected by the strike because the AM, AMT MP or whatever comes to the negotiating table and uh, gives a good deal where they pay. I don't know. What is the number again? Oh, less than 3% of the entire profits that Hollywood makes. Sure. Strange that the people who write the stuff in Hollywood are asking for less than 3% of the profits. And they're like, no, that's too much. We can't do that. Incredible stuff, man. <laughs> Incredible stuff. Okay. It's really wild. I asked my friend Skyler, who doesn't know mm-hmm. anything about Hollywood. I'm like, what percentage do you think the writers of the thing should get? And he's like, I don't know, like 20, 30%. Like you would think that's a reasonable thing. The writers they mm-hmm. don't come up with it. <laughs> It's yeah, it, it makes no damn sense, but but nonetheless, again, pay the writers, make sure they they they're properly compensated for their work. This show stands on that and will continue to stand on that. So, uh, next question, this is for me specifically. Who's who's the next WWE star, man or woman, you would like to see in the MCU in what role? Ironically, there were set leaks of uh, Captain America. Uh, work new working title there's going to be a new title we don't know what it, what the title is yet but it's going to be a new one um we saw seth rollins seth freaking rollins uh it seems like he's a part of the serpent society in captain america which is an interesting interesting role i, I wonder which guy he's playing i'm not sure but uh it, it it should be fascinating but if i had somebody who i would who I would choose. Um, I'm a big Bianca Belair person. So a big Bianca Belair fan. I think she's awesome. She has all the charisma and all that stuff. I think she could, she could definitely have an impact in action movies and not be kind of like a stick in the mud, the way Ronda Rousey was in the fast movie. So uh, it's crazy how bad she was. You ever see someone in a movie where they act so poorly? It's like, (laughs) Do you have no charisma at all? Like, I just don't understand. Anyway, it's, like that's <laughs> like for to, to to act poorly in a fast movie. <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind yeah it's kind of crazy. Um, if there was a all right, if from a from a dude standpoint, 
maybe I really, I really dig Kevin Owens. I think Kevin Owens has uh, a lot of, a lot of charisma and he has a lot of fire too. A lot of fire in the belly. I think he would be great just playing some like really intense uh, psycho fighter person. I think he would do, he would do great in that, but but yeah, those are the those are the two that I have there. Jake is Jake is not in the wrestling, so no. I would just say if they were to cast someone, I would hope that they would either give them a role where they don't have to speak speak that much, excuse me, or they cast someone like Batista who puts in the effort. Yes. Because I think that, especially in this day and age where everyone goes on the crazy steroidy diets, the act like the physique of a WWE person is not as valuable as it used to be. Like it, you know, what I mean, like just when Will Poulter can get his jack as he does, so like. You want someone who is good at using their physique, who like that uses the tools of WWE and doesn't stand out. Because like the amount of movies you see from like two thousand six, where it's like like let's do the superhero movie like Blade Trinity, Triple H stands out in every moment he's in the movie. Like this guy's bad at acting. He's just big. <laughs> he's bad at acting. Well, that's strange that they put him in there. Um, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Great question there. And finally, we have. Not sure if y'all hate fan cast questions. Well, I don't hate fan cast questions. I just no. hate fan cast generally. Yes. I don't hate my own fan cast. I hate fan cast from people who have never watched something that is not based on a comic book. Well, there you go. But but hypothetically, if Marvel moves forward with casting different actors for Ramatut, Immortus, and Scarlet Centurion, who would y'all cast? More on this later. Full disclosure, I will full disclosure the uh, the person asking, I want them to cast multiple actors at this point. What you got, Jake? So, I don't know those characters well enough, personally, to pick specific ones, but I think that if we're in the realm of younger black actors, like, the one person who would immediately come to mind is John David Washington. I don't know if he'd want to do it, but he's Mm -hmm. someone who has gravitas, who is athletic, which I think is important, because you want someone that can be physically imposing, because, you know, Jonathan Majors, that was one of his key things he had. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, someone like, people throw John Boyega a lot. I don't know necessarily if... Um, he would want to do that. You go a little older. I still am really fixated on Michael Springthorpe's suggestion of, or someone that might be someone else's, but Coleman Domingo, you know, oh. real Shakespearean shit. If you, I, if they're going to do different things, they can maybe give him one that's not as intense, even though he's a big guy, he's in his fifties. So like, I don't know how much you want to do, but like, I want them to get someone who has like real gravitas, uh, and who like just captures the entire frame when they're on screen. I think like that's the most important thing. Um, but yeah, what, what what's your take? You, especially with those different characters. Yeah, uh, I I've been pretty steadfast about this, and it's it's also been mentioned on our Discord. Um, Damson Idris uh, from Snowfall. Yeah, I think he has a lot of potential to show different layers. To um, there's just chops and skill there that has not been like really really tapped into yet. Um, I feel like he deserves some more opportunities. I think if giving him something like this would be a lot of fun because I think we would really be able to see him stretch because I think the way that he transforms uh, the Franklin Saint character from beginning to end of that series is really something uh, pretty extraordinary um, because I think it's just not something that I would have expected in terms of you can write a story a certain way, but you need the character to take it there. And he was able to take it there. So that's probably my top choice. I like the Coleman Domingo one. I think he would be awesome. Um, I would think he would be awesome in a role like that as well. But uh, yeah, that, yeah, that whole, that whole whole thing 
Oh man, I know Disney got to Disney got to be like, "Oh god damn it." But since we're on that we're we're on that same yeah. subject, uh, the Disney upfronts took place a couple of days ago. We got a couple of announcements on the remaining Marvel content on Disney Plus for the year. October 6th, Loki season 2. And we'll start there. Yeah, so there's been a lot of talk and a lot of chat about what's happening with the Jonathan Major situation. We know that he will be back in court next month, uh, early next month. And my best guess is, based off of the way that everything has gone with him, everybody who's read this news, who's been kind of like associated with the whole whole idea of Marvel has been paying a lot of attention. You know what's, what's happened to him in terms of what he's lost and representation and and uh, movie roles and everything else i think the expectation is that this recast is happening and i think in everything you hear about in terms of and not even everything you hear everything you see in the promotion yeah. or lack thereof in stuff that he's done creed creed 3 um digitally as they've released the the movie wasn't really he wasn't marketed at all in that same thing with ant-man and the wasp quantum mania which just came on disney plus uh, a day a day ago and he's not he's barely referenced at all just um because obviously they legally have to since he was in the movie that was all that we've gotten so my expectation is that we will there will be a resolution to this at some point and we will have a new kang slash everybody else but um he, he, just a reminder to people that his scenes have been shot in loki already like all of them have been shot and that's been in post-production so that's not gonna change however you never know what they may decide to add at the end if they decided to do something else then you might see something there that's what i suspect will be the thing that happens but nonetheless uh, we're getting loki season two october 6th um it'll lead right into the marvels by the time that it concludes. So it, it's nice to know that we'll, we're finally getting Loki season two, which yeah. Loki, a show that, I mean, everybody's pretty much yeah. enjoyed. You have any thoughts? Yeah. I, I didn't want to get into it on Twitter when I saw it. Cause I saw a lot of people were agreeing and I didn't want to be like a negative Nelly, but I saw a friend of the show, good friend of mine, Delbino Osorio tweeted when they released that, the release date that like, that's long enough where they could reshoot all the scenes. And I'm like, no, that's actually just, that's not true. Like no. not if, if it were a show that was just like a sitcom where it was on regular sets mm-hmm. and the actors who were in it were like regular TV actors, maybe. But like if he is sharing scenes with Tom Hiddleston and Owen Wilson, that means that they need to get all of them together for like weeks on end. And like, and act just like, it's not just not long enough, it's just not even close to enough time because they would need to find a time where both of them are available. And so it's frankly just. Yeah, there, unless, and once again, I wouldn't, I would have wanted them to do this, but unless they were going to delay it a full year. They wouldn't be able to do it just because that scheduling is hard. Um, so I expect them to end it with some type of resolution where they recast him. I think that they're just biting the bullet now. And I think that while I wish they would just fire him now, he would feel good and is the morally right thing to do. It actually doesn't behoove them at all to fire him any bef- one moment before they need to. Because right. they don't want they don't they don't want a press cycle. When, like, there's nothing coming out from them now, they don't want a whole press cycle about them firing him and who's replacing him. Like, that's just not good for them now, as opposed to linking it to, like, big reveal of who's playing Kang. You know, like, that actually is, like, much more good for them. And they're also, 
honestly could be legal reasons why um, they need to wait. I, I'm not, I, I'm pretty confident like you that they're going to be recasting just because the news hasn't gotten any better for him. Nope. And I think that they can just, unless, like, unless their head's completely in the sand, which the thing about Marvel is it generally isn't, like, the vibe is just so pro-recasting. Like, you really have to go into, like, deep blue-check Twitter to see people who don't think you should be recast. Yes, yes, I agree with that. So, Loki Season 2, look forward to that, October 6th. We also got an announcement on Echo. Echo, we, we will be getting November 29th. We don't know how many episodes, but apparently we're getting them all at once. This is the first time that in the Disney Plus era that Marvel's going to the binge model. J- Jake, I found this interesting. What were your thoughts on it? Unfortunately, my first thought was that's not a good sign. It's They probably don't think it's good. Now, that could be wrong about that, but like that's just my first reaction, and mm-hmm. I don't want to pretend like that's not my first reaction. Obviously, a... Another side of that coin is the fact that it is going to be Thanksgiving weekend. So, like, it's if they're going to release a binge model, like, that makes a little bit of sense to do it then. But I, it did make me worried about the show, and it did make me worried about the fact that they're, like, kind of dumping it when it's a show that, like, it doesn't have an automatic fan base built in. And I suspect that... I suspect that, and I think that this is fair, given the fact that, like... I think for people who are big MCU fans who watch Hawkeye, Echo was like a character that was cool or whatever. But like, I actually just, whereas there was so much demand for an Agatha spinoff, even if it's still not here, among normal MCU viewers, there frankly just was not a lot of demand for an Echo spinoff. That doesn't mean that she doesn't deserve her own show. Like, they can, you know, and I'm glad that she's getting one. But I think that they, it it almost feels like Bob Iger, when he walked into Marvel and was like, we need to scale things back. It's like, why did you do a show about this character that didn't have a lot of buzz? And it sucks, of course, because this is the thing, things always happen like this. It's happening to a show that has a lot of great representation and is groundbreaking in a lot of ways and is about things that are not straight white people. And it sucks that that's what it's happening to. But like the reality is as much as I, as much as it has those things, it still could suck. And if it, they're doing the binge model like it just it makes me afraid that it does uh i can't say i don't disagree i can't say i i disagree with you on that fact i think if you just look at everything that's happened marvel's been pretty steadfast on oh we're gonna go week to week with these things and i think the fact that this went to a binge model probably hints at stuff that has been talked about about the production having problems writing wise the delay wise and for various reasons but i think it's just one of those things where it's it's kind of tough to gauge so far out you know we'll give the show a chance and we'll we'll see how it goes but um yeah i think it, it is it is a sign that something's afoot i just don't i just don't think echo is the type of show that you would be like oh yeah we're gonna do our we're gonna do a binge model because this is this feels like a thing that we're putting a lot of effort and stuff behind in terms of marketing. This probably feels like this is the kind of way um, that might be the most digestible to people watching. So um, that's my, that's my viewpoint on that. And yeah, we'll see what happens. There's a lot of Fisk and there's some Matt Murdock in the show. So we'll see what, we'll see what happens with that. But those are the, those are the final things of MCU content. Uh, for the year yeah echo will be the last thing after the marvel so 
that kind of that kind of covers that there, and that, and that covers us here for the this mailbag edition and news edition of the MC University Pod. Uh, just a reminder: Patreon.com/slash MC University Pod, where you could get our bonus content. There will be a subscriber mailbag where our listeners on the Discord ask us different types of questions that we will answer there. And also, we do other things. Fast and the Furious. We'll be getting back to those movies very shortly. And, and talking about that as we go, there's a lot of good bonus content on there. And of course, if you just feel like supporting, we appreciate you nonetheless. Make sure you five-star review this podcast. Five-star, 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 five-star. Thank you for that. And Jake, where can we follow you, my friend? You can follow me on Twitter at the Christie. Listen to my other podcast, Love It First Psych, where we talk about the show Psych with Andre Barrera. And uh, yeah, it's at First Psych Pod on Twitter. Yes, and you can follow me on Twitter at Anthony Canton underscore three. Follow the show at MC University Pod, and I believe we are at MC University Pod on Instagram as well. That you, is we, correct. We will put uh, the we will put occasional clips and other things uh, show related, uh, maybe some news related. We'll try and be more active on there. And of course, like I mentioned at the top, subscribe to that YouTube channel for Jay Christie. I'm Anthony Canton the third. This has been Marvel Cinematic University. We will talk to you next time. <laughs>